All right. All right. Let's get started. Everybody have a Bible who needs a Bible? Anybody need a Bible yet? One more. There you are. You bet. All right, let's start with just a word of prayer here. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for calling us to be your children, for showing us love in this way, that though we have deserved nothing but suffering and death, you have given us life and salvation in your name. Grant that we may always look to you, we who were dead but now are alive, that we may look to you for every good thing. We pray this in your most holy name. Amen. Now, uh, I had a request that I record this, so I'm giving you fair warning right now. Anything you say can and will be used against you on the internet. So, if, so here's, the th- here's what I, th- I can offer. You say something and you embarrass yourself, or if I say something and embarrass myself, I will edit it out afterwards, all right? So just let me know. I'd be happy to do that. Um, we, can, we, can, we can solve this together. Um, one thing I want to mention is uh, I didn't talk about the catechism last week. Uh, it's going to come up today. But if you need a copy of the catechism, Luther's small catechism, there's a handful of them. Jennifer, are they sitting right in front of you on the table there? Okay, there's a couple of them right there. I have more of these. I just was looking for them now. I can't, can't find them. But if you'd like a copy, a little copy like this, please let me know. It's really handy, a handy reference. Uh, put it in your pocket, carry it with you wherever you go, and review it whenever, whenever you want. Um, any questions this morning? Any questions to start off? All right, here's where we've been. Last week we talked about... <laughs> You're letting me down. <laughs> Last week we talked about uh, article number one, sin. Sin. And uh, this week we're going to talk about Number two, which is grace. But before we get there, let's just review real quick. And here's how we're going to review. This is um, from the end of the commandments. Luther asks this question in the small catechism. He says, what does God say about all these commandments? He says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. That comes from the story where God is giving the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel. This is on Mount Sinai. God gives them the commandments. Here's the first commandment, and then he says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And this is the punishment for sin, but the reward, the reward for love, for keeping his commandments. Luther goes on, and this is a helpful explanation. What does this mean? God threatens to punish all who break these commandments. Therefore, we should fear his wrath and not do anything against them. But he promises grace and every blessing to all who keep these commandments. Therefore, we should also love and trust in him and gladly do what he commands. This comes at the conclusion of the commandments in the small catechism. And it's helpful to think about why they're there. Why are the commandments there? Why are they the first thing that appears in the catechism? And maybe just just think about just in your own mind. I won't ask you to give your answers here. But just off the top of your head, how many commandments, just ask yourself, how many commandments could you remember? Not the explanations, just the commandment. Like number five, everyone knows that one. You shall not, you know, you shall not murder. Okay. Um, You didn't have to know that was number five, but that's the shortest one. You shall not murder. How many of the rest of them do you know? Just think for yourself about that. Um, It's a good question to ask. And this is why on a Sunday morning, although I didn't do it this morning, um, normally I will say, since we're celebrating the Lord's Supper this morning, it's fitting to examine yourself according to the Ten Commandments so that you can recognize your sin and see what great things God has done for you in Christ Jesus. So this is one of the reasons why 
Knowing the commandments is important. Meditating on them is important. Asking the question that Luther asks, what does this mean? One of the reasons why it's important is so that we know what sin is. So that we know what sin is. Think about how easy it is to try and shape Jesus into our own image. It's just as easy to try and shape sin into what we would like it to be. Right? So think to yourself, um, what are some popular definitions of sin that don't quite cut it? Can you, you have any ideas? Popular definitions of sin that don't quite cut it. Cursing. cursing. Okay, so if, if cursing is all that there is to sin, then it's not, it's not covering all your bases. It is a bad one, right? That's commandment number two. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, right? How about more generally? Mistakes, right? Yeah, these are mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes, They're don't natural. they? Natural, right? You've got natural desires, right? This is actually one of the more perverse things about our age is that things that are unnatural have become called natural so that even nature can't testify against you anymore when you sin, right? It used to be that you, if you were trying to do something really atrocious, nature would speak against you, right? Your own nature would speak against you. Well, something unique about our age is that that is thrown out the window, okay? Um, so it's natural. They're just mistakes. Got any other ideas? The devil made me do it, right? Yeah, I'm not actually responsible for my sin. Oh, yeah. This is like uh, when you see a speed limit sign, it's just, you know, try, try it out and see how you like it. Maybe faster, right? Be okay, right? Yeah, just suggestions. Which, uh, which leads us to... It's a little bit too much chuckling. I didn't, I'm not saying that's how you should think about the speed limit sign, Logan. Um, okay, so but you see in the example of the speed limit, of course, that there are consequences to, to doing something, like to taking it as a suggestion when it's not a suggestion, and those flashing lights behind you, you know, make, remind you that it's not just a suggestion, right? Um, Okay, so here's reason number one for, rec for thinking about the Ten Commandments, so that you know what sin is, what, so you know what it is. If it weren't for the Ten Commandments, we would make up in our minds all kinds of bad ideas about what sin is, and we would rank them. We would say, whose sins are worst? Yours and not mine, right? We would come up with wrong definitions of sin. God gives us the Ten Commandments so that we can see what sin is, and then he summarizes them for us in the Gospel. Jesus himself says, well, what, are the great, what is the great commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So it gets bound up in that word love. That's how you know what sin is. Sin is anything that contradicts love. You know what love is by looking at Jesus on the cross. There's another word that gets abused, doesn't it? Right? All kinds of wrong ideas about love. That's number one, what sin is. But number two is really important as well. We have the commandments to show us how bad sin is, right? God threatens to punish all who break these commandments. What's the punishment for breaking his commandments? Death, okay? Um, what's the punishment for breaking just one commandment? Okay, if you are guilty of breaking one commandment, you have broken all of them, right? That's really important. You wouldn't know that if it weren't for what the Bible teaches about the commandments, what God teaches about his law. You would think to yourself, well, three is better than four, right? And I'm not as bad as a murderer, right? You would think those things, but God says, nope, you're all in the same boat, same sinking boat. And God is the one who punishes. Therefore, we should fear his wrath, okay? This is the main use for the commandments, to bring us to uh, 
of to fear God. All right? But there is another important use for you Christians who, having feared God, fearing God, have received forgiveness. So you hear week in and week out that your sins, every last one of them, the ones that you recognize and the ones you don't recognize, the things you've done and the things you have not done, that all of them have been washed away in the blood of Jesus, right? They've been washed away. So now, can you just get rid of the commandments? Why not? Yeah. Not only are there the things that God wants you to do, but now as a Christian, guess what? They're the things that you want to do, right? Jerry? The modern society says, but God made me this way. Yes. So that takes over the commandments. Right. I am my own law to myself. I have to be true to myself. And God made me who I am, right? Yeah. And, and the, the simple cure for that is what we did last week, going back to the Garden of Eden, where you recognize that God made us to be perfect. So anything that goes wrong is on us. And it is true that there are some things that, and in fact, everything that you're born with, right? You're born with it. You're born with your sin. You're born with your sinful desires. You're born with all of it, right? So the cure is not saying, well, this is just who I am. I can't help it. The cure is saying, look, this is such a bad problem that I need a better way out of it than trying to solve it on my own, right? Okay. So I think it's important to remember how good the commandments are for you, not just because they highlight sin, but a reason to study the commandments and meditate on God's law is because you as Christians want to do what is right. You, you want to do it. If you didn't want to do it, you wouldn't be here at all, right? You want to do it right, what is right. Now that requires some effort, right? It requires some struggle, requires a strain. Most of all, it requires faith. Right? Without faith, you can't do anything right. But when you uh, listen to God's law, as Christians, you're asking the question, what can I do to please God? What can I do to live like God wants me to live? What, do I, what can I do to live like Jesus? That's a really good question to ask, and we should ask it all the time. St. Paul says in Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 5, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, because we don't know it unless God tells us. Right, sure, yeah. 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 He's going to forgive me anyways, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, this is going to, that, that question, how do you get over that, or how should you think about that, can only be answered in this next topic, the topic about grace, right? Um, that other question, though, about um, well, it doesn't say explicitly in the Bible that I can't speed, so, you know, must not really be that wrong. Just pay attention. The moment you ever have to say, must not really be that wrong, guess what? <laughs> it really is that wrong. <laughs> the moment you have to try in your mind to justify something you've done, it actually doesn't matter whether or not God says that it was good or bad. The moment in your mind you're trying to justify it, you're sinning against your conscience. Right? You're sinning against your conscience. And that actually, in some sense, for you Christians, matters more than whether or not you sin against this commandment or that commandment. Because a sin against your conscience, we'll talk about conscience in a few weeks a little bit more in a little bit more detail. But when you sin against your conscience, you're saying, I know what is good, 
Some part of me knows what is good, but I don't want that. And if you're saying that, you know, what's to stop you from saying, I don't want this good thing that God has given me in my life. What's to stop you from moving from there to, I don't want the blood of Jesus from the cross, right? You're hardening your heart the moment you say that. The moment you try to justify something and you sin against your conscience, you're hardening your heart. So just pay attention, right? If you feel like you have to justify something, then you probably can't justify it, right? If you have to lawyer up inside of you and be like, here's my defense, here's why that was okay, you've misunderstood why we do good things. You've misunderstood why we follow God's law. The point is not so that we can make a defense of ourselves before God, so that we can justify everything we did, right? The point is not so that on the last day I can stand in God's courtroom and say, okay, you rescued me from my sin and look at all these things I got right as a result and here's this thing that, you, that some people thought was wrong, but look, I can tell you why it was actually okay, right? That's not the reason why we do what is good. Not to justify ourselves before God, but simply because we love what is good. Because we want to do what's good. Jerry. I usually don't have a problem of not wanting to do what is good. My problem would be wanting to do what's bad. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> that might be the same thing. I'll just <laughs> yeah, right? Wanting to do, and, and so, um, again, we're going to talk about this uh, in a little bit more detail in a couple weeks because... Once we've gone through sin and once we have gone through grace, the question is, how do you live as a Christian with sinful desires? What do you do about them? They're there. They're not going away until the last day. They're not going away until the last day. What you do with them, how you deal with them, matters. It matters. Okay. Any questions? All right, let's go on to today. What is grace? What is grace? Just give me some, either some... Quick definitions off the top of your head or some times, examples of how the word grace is used. Logan. Undeserved mercy. Undeserved mercy. Okay. Who else? God's riches at Christ's expense is what I Oh, good. That's an acronym. I don't know. I'm not going to write all that down. I'll just do like this. God's riches at Christ's expense. Very good. That's a helpful one. Who else has something? How about in popular, just the way people talk about grace all, uh, regularly? You all are giving good Sunday school answers. A blessing, yeah. A blessing. Okay. Forgiveness. Forgiveness, good. Now, this is something to hang on to for next week. because The topic for next week is forgiveness. But it's very good to say that forgiveness and grace Go hand in hand. Uh, the reason, and this is just a preview of what happens next week, um, it's so easy to fall into the trap of thinking that forgiveness is something that is done in exchange for, say, a good apology. Right? I'll forgive you if, or I'll forgive you when. Right? But forgiveness, by definition, is gracious. If it's not gracious, then it's not forgiveness. If it's not gracious, if it's in return for something, then it is a wage. It is payment. It is something that is given in exchange for something else. Okay? That's really, we'll talk about that in more detail next week. What else do you have? Other? Sorry, I don't know if it's the same as undeserved, but it's not ending. Unending, good. Yeah. Um, here's another way that you could put that. Unconditional. Okay. Any other ideas? Free gift. Free gift. And so one of the things you can see 
is all this absolute language. And this is the main thing for, for to pay attention to today. Okay, so it's undeserved, absolute. It is unending, it is unconditional, it is free. Name something that's free in this life. Air. Air? <laughs> I don't know, there's a carbon tax, isn't there? <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, this is, th this point here, the point at which things become free, is a surprising point in our lives where tr trusting in God, believing what it says, becomes surprisingly hard. Because you'd think we'd be all over something that's free. Right? You'd think we'd be all over it and we would just be like, this is great. Free is great. I want something free. Because we are spending our lives paying for things, not having free things. Um, why that's the case is yet to be uncovered. But let's look ahead. Open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. We're going to illustrate this. Luke chapter 15. And I got a painting for you. Oop. There it is. Luke chapter 15. This is a painting by a French artist named Jacques Tissot. And he painted lots of biblical scenes. One of, the one of the reasons why this is an interesting one is because this does not look like biblical times. If you were going to place this historically, where do you think, when do you think this is happening? Like 1700s? Yeah. 1700s. How can you tell? Looks like you're in the middle of Europe having a jolly darn good time. They, a really Oh, yeah, it's like something straight out of a Charles Dickens novel, right? Yeah, it does look that way. I mean, this guy could be Ebenezer Scrooge, right? He could be Ebenezer Scrooge. Okay, now if you opened up to Luke chapter 15, you might be able to tell what story this is. This is the story of the prodigal son. So at what point in the story are we viewing it here? Where the son comes back. And that's why when you describe it as having a jolly good time, it's spot on. How can you tell that they're having a jolly good time? He looks like he is suffering, and they're all excited to come see him. They're rushing outside of the house, piling onto the stairs. They're about to push each other off the stairs. They're so excited to come and see him, right? Yeah. Let's read, okay? Open up to Luke chapter 15. Let's read a little bit here. And I want you to see, put your finger on as we go through this, the ways that this parable illustrates the nature of grace, okay? Could somebody read the first six verses, 11 through 16? Okay. I'll accept that gloss on the text there. That was exactly right. He was having fun. Um, his fun now came at his father's expense. And it's really important to observe what kind of injury he does to his father here. So he asks for half of his, half of his half of the inheritance. What is normally required for you to receive an inheritance? Dad, dad's got to die. 
So he's essentially saying, I wish you were dead. Let's just speed up the process. Okay? I wish you were dead. Let's speed up the process. And of course, it's, it's compounded because he's taking his father's livelihood, right? So he is, in fact, depriving him of his life, saying that he wishes he was dead. I want what's coming to me now. He feels all deserving, right? I'm your son. I should get what I want, period, right? Squanders it in reckless living, and the end of the story for him there, or the end of that reckless living, is not great. And, of course, it's, this, this story would have been just wonderfully scandalous to the Jews who do not eat pigs, all right, or do not have anything to do with pigs. So here, Jesus is telling this story, and you can imagine the crowds just like squirming as they're hearing about those pigs. It's like, it's like I said to you, and he went out and ate a bunch of centipedes, right? Yeah, not good. He was, he was defiling himself, not just like in the normal way that a pig pen is going to stink, but here you are in the company of unclean animals, and you're not even good enough to eat their food, okay? That's how much misery he is in, right? It's terrible, terrible. He got his reward, this we heard uh, from Jesus all the time. We hear Jesus say things like this all the time. Look, if you uh, practice your righteousness in front of people in order to be seen by them, so you give charity so that other people will think, hey, that's a great person. What a great person you are. He's, Jesus says, guess what? You've got your reward. People think you're great. How far is that going to get you? This is the question Jesus asks. <laughs> and here he is. He's had his reward. Reckless living. He had a fun time. What good is that? What good is that? Right? At this moment, it is worth Nothing. Let's keep going. 17 through 24. Could somebody read that? When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and knelt. <coughs> And felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. His father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Okay. So he's miserable. There he is, longing to eat the pods that the pigs are being fed. He's miserable, and what's his plan? What's his plan? Repent. Okay, now good. I think that's exactly what he's thinking, but what does repentance mean to him? Begging. Okay. Um, yeah, groveling. Um, why would he want to do, why would he think that that's a good idea? Pity. Pity, yeah, to try and... Uh, work up some tender feelings in his father. Look at how miserable I am. What did you say, Barb? That's all he had left, right? Yeah. So uh, I'm, you know, I got nothing else going for me. I may as well just beg and hope that something works out, right? And you can tell that he's just sort of hoping that something works out because he's scheming in his apology. What is his apology going to sound like? He's going to say, I've sinned, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, right. It's going to make a deal. We're going to cut a deal. Right? I screwed up. Here's what we can do to make it better. Treat me like a servant instead of a son. And then we're going to be okay. Right? Then we'll be like, look at me. I'm, I'm willing to have you uh, knock me down a few notches, um, and then we'll just be okay. Then I can just be back in your house, and that'll be just fine. Right? He's trying to cut a deal. 
Um, of course, the problem with trying to cut a deal when it comes to sin is you can't undo it. This is just one of the, one of the hardest things to wrap our heads around because we, by nature, when we do something wrong, want desperately, knowing that we've done it wrong and suffering for it, want desperately to undo it. We want to take it back. We wish it, we wish it hadn't happened. And so we construct all these ways in our minds and in our hearts that we think we can undo it. There are uh, some amazing, I mean, so you make excuses, that's one thing. Or you try to make atonement in another way. Here, make me suffer for a little bit, he says. Make me, make me feel this. Make me suffer for a little while. People, you ever done that before? You're like, I did this thing wrong and I need to suffer a little bit for it. Um, or you're making excuses for it. So he's trying to make a deal. When he tries to make a deal, he shows that he misunderstands a couple of things. First of all, he misunderstands what it means to be a son. Can you ever not be a son? If, you're, if you were once a son, are you ever not a son? No. Once you're a son, you're always a son. Right? You're always a son. So he misunderstands. He tries to change the relationship between his father and him. And just think about it again in terms of you know, us casting Jesus in our own image. What kind of a father do you think this son would be? When his, when his kid sins, what's he going to do? going to make him pay for it. He's going to make him pay. He's going to make him make it up, right? Because he thinks that's how this relationship works. That's not how the relationship between fathers and sons work. They, it doesn't change. There it is, permanent, father and son. Okay, so he shows he misunderstands the relationship. He also misunderstands the father. How, what value do you think it would be to the father to have his son as a servant in his house? Do you think that he would enjoy that? <laughs> Having his son working as a servant in his house? Not in the least, right? Um, he wants his son to be a son and not a servant. So he's trying to make a deal, and he's trying to um, change the relationship between his father and him, misunderstanding the relationship and who his father is. Okay? He shows up, and here he is, verse 21. He's about to put his plan into action. We're going to have this negotiation now, Dad, and hopefully on the other side of this, we can be okay. All right? We can have our relationship back. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 22. But the father said to his servants. Okay? But the father said to his servants. So before he can even finish saying what he meant to say, what has his father done? Yeah. Right? This is an amazing thing um, to picture. You can, you can kind of picture it here. Um, what would it be like? I wish that we had a little bit different scene. Imagine, for instance, uh, this uh, in the ancient world, a, a big household, a big estate, standing on top of a hill, and there's a road that goes into the town. Okay, and this is a common setting for this kind of a this kind of a household. And uh, the son is often a distant country. He's gone down that road, taking his father's property. He's gone away, wasting it in the distant country. And if you're that father, that son, you know, he wished that you were dead. You know, what can you do, right? What can you do? He's gone. I'm, not, I don't, I'm never going to see him again. My son, who was dead, he will say, is alive, right? He assumes he's dead, as good as dead. When his son starts coming back to him, what did it say? The father, while the son was still a long way off, while he was still a long way off, ran to him. So first of all, in order for him to see the son while he was a long way off yet, the father must have been looking for him, waiting for him waiting, evidently, not to punish him, not to 
make him suffer, but to hug him, to embrace him, to welcome him back. While he was still a long way off. And the father takes off running, which if you're an old man in the ancient world, running is one of the most undignified things you can do. It's what young frenetic people do. They run around like chickens with their heads chopped off. An old man walks with dignity, takes his time, doesn't have to run anywhere because he's in control of the situation. What does he do? Throws aside his dignity and tears down the road to give his son a hug because he wants his son back. Now, what determines whether or not he has his son back? Is it anything the son has to offer? The son, what, is, what does the son have to offer his father? Nothing. The money's gone. He can't pay the money back. Right? Being a servant isn't going to cut it. That's never going to pay it back. He has nothing to offer his father. What does his father offer to him? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Conditional? What are the conditions here? You don't even get to, you don't, don't even open your mouth, kid. You're back in the family, right? You're a part of my family again. Okay? This tells you something about, this tells you everything you need to know about grace. There's nothing the kid could have done to make it up to his father. And even when he tries to make it up to his father, it's, the father's like, forget about it. This isn't helping at all. This is actually making things worse, right? Let me do this for you. Let me give this to you. It's completely free, completely unconditional, unending, and it was there the whole time. Right? Waiting. It was there the whole time. Now, uh, why do you think it was hard for the son to uh, believe that his father would welcome him back so graciously? Guilt, right? What I've done is so terrible that nobody could love me anymore. Right? Guilt? What else? Yeah, right. If I were my dad, I would never welcome me back. Right? What else? Hard. That would be a very, very hard thing to do. Why would it be hard? A little bit of pride. Pride, yeah. Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah. Uh, all right. We're in really good standings with your dad. You did a lot of stuff. He loves you very much. And he said, I'm better than you. I'm, I'm good. I'm on my own. I can do this. And you failed miserably in failure. Yeah, that's, that's right. So in accepting your, your dad's free forgiveness, you are acknowledging a whole bunch of things that are really, really painful that bring you from up here to le lower than low. Right? Yeah, I was say a little lower. Lower than low. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Might as well start digging. Which is why the Psalms are full of David saying things like, out of the depths, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, right? Um, because that's where we are. That's where this son was. Um, if he wanted to think that he was higher than that, then he wouldn't be receiving grace. He would be receiving just sort of a leg up. Look, I got myself into a bind, but help me get out of it, right? What does he need? More than a leg up. He needs his father to do everything for him. He need, yeah, he needs to be pulled up, right? And this is the, this is the picture of grace um, because it is actually death, the situation that we're in on account of sin. So I ask this question often, but it's worth just bearing in mind, what can a dead person do? Okay, so there you are. Think about out of the depths, which is usually like a picture of like a cistern or a well or something like that, and there you are, you know, belly up, floating around in the bottom, bloated and stinky, right? And you're not getting out of there. Right? You're not get, the rats are coming. You're not getting out of there. Okay? This is what happened. It's like, it's like if that dead body was like, hey, I can, let me just, I can, I can, do a little, I can help out a little bit here. Right? <laughs> now forget about it. Instead, what does the, the father do? He comes and he 
lower, he doesn't just lower a rope down, but he climbs down into the hole and pulls this guy up. Um, uh, I was going to tell you a story. Uh, I'll save it for another time. I got a, I got a story, uh, another story to show you. It's not of this slideshow. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Um, okay, so this is the picture we have of grace. You have to bear this in mind and recognize the obstacles. And I think one of the main obstacles for us is pride. You, you saw in the gospel lesson this morning what could have happened, right? At any moment, that woman, that Canaanite woman, in her pride could have just walked away. Look, this is not worth it. I'm not as low as I seem to be. I'm not as low as he's saying that I am. I don't need as much help as he's indicating that I do. I don't need to rely on his mercy entirely. Uh, I think that this is one of the chief places where God's law comes in contact, in conflict with our hearts, where we are killed by God's law, because we always want to be able to just give ourselves that little leg up. Forget about it. You can't. You can see it in how this story ends. So could somebody read verses 25 through 32? One of, the, one of the amazing things about this story is that it's not just the prodigal son, the guy who's gone away, who struggles with understanding what grace is, right? This brother, who's been here the whole time, also doesn't understand what grace is. So, so what's his problem? What is he, what is he, what's his wrong thought here? How is he thinking about things incorrectly? Yeah, right? Look, uh, I've deserved a lot of things, and if you're going to throw a party for anybody, who should you throw a party for? <laughs> Have you ever felt that way? You're just like, you know, if anybody should get a party, it's me, right? And this is exactly what he's saying here. Um, he, recognize, he fails to recognize that even though he didn't wander away, everything that he has as a son of his father, he has received by grace. I think that's a great picture of, like, dinner with kids, you know? Um... Did that kid who comes to the dinner table, spaghetti and meatballs in front of them, did that kid do anything to deserve that food? Do anything? No. I mean, they might think they did, right? I didn't hit my brother today. Give me some spaghetti, right? They might think that. But they didn't do anything. And this is what's so great about children and why the relationship between fathers and, ch and sons is one of the chief pictures that God gives us is because you want your kids, you want your kids to expect there to be food there but not because they deserve it, but because they know that you love them. You want them to understand that everything that you give to them is gracious because you love them. And it's the moment they start to think that they've deserved it, you can see that happen. You can see it the moment it happens, where they start demanding things or expecting things or making deals or not apologizing, not being repentant when they make a mistake because they have forgotten or neglected the fact that everything they have in front of them the entire time is a gift. And then it's especially true 
in a scenario just like this, where this kid over here has done something really vile and is, you know, on thin ice, and this kid feels like he can get away with anything now because I didn't do that thing, right? Jerry. There's a lot of pride showing up in here. First, the younger son, having so much pride, he didn't want to stick around his dad's house anymore. Yeah. He wanted to leave. Yep. Then his pride kept him from going back to his father. Yep. And now the older son, his pride is putting him in the same hole that his younger son. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, that it, it is the underwriting theme of this, which takes us, of course, back to the Garden of Eden, because the problem in the Garden of Eden is the very same thing. Forgetting, believing the lie, that everything you have, even in the Garden of Eden, is by grace. Right? God gave them all of the gifts of the Garden for free, without having done anything to deserve it, and they wanted something better, thought they deserved something more. Tried to deal, tried to manipulate God so that they can come out ahead. If everything you have you have received by grace, then you you should have you have no cause for pride, no reason for pride. Very nice. There's a, a, a saying that uh, anything your parents do for you after age 18 is out of love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it must be right. It must be. By then you've you've done enough things to. If if they were a stranger, they would have nothing to do with you, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think, and that's that really is. Um, th- reflect on that and bear that in mind as the picture for our relationship with God. So here's another part of the catechism in the, in the Lord's Prayer, which begins, Our Father who art in heaven. What does this mean? We should fear and love God. No. Nope. With these words, God tenderly invites us to believe that He is our true Father and that we are His true children, so that with all boldness and confidence we may ask Him as dear children ask their dear Father. That's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture of a happy home, right? And you can see, pay attention in your own lives to those kinds of relationships. It's not just the relationship between fathers and sons, but parents and children, uh, husbands and wives, siblings, friends. You can see when grace runs out or when pride interferes with grace. You can see that happen day in and day out because we are all frail and sinful. And that that is what ruins relationships. That's what uh, makes relationships difficult, is that we don't give ourselves freely, and we don't receive as freely given what is given to us. Any questions? To flip ahead to Romans chapter 5, I want to just look a little bit more detail here. Paul talks about all of this so beautifully, and he picks up, uh, this is the the epistle lesson we heard this morning. Start at the beginning of Romans chapter 5. Let me read just a little bit here. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, floating in the bottom of that well, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Therefore, since we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So God's grace affects this reconciliation. We're enemies, we're dead. He speaks a word of forgiveness to us, and the relationship is restored. Okay? How can that go wrong? What are the ways that can go wrong? You can reject it. Right? You can say, that's not what I'm interested in. That's not what I want. Okay? This is important to see because the only way that anybody fails to obtain life is by rejecting what God has given. It's by rejecting God's grace. By wanting to do it on their own. By wanting to make their own way in this life. And they have their reward. Right? They have their reward. But you have been reconciled. You have been washed clean. You have believed it. You have heard and believed. You've received it all. And what's great about it is that you haven't received just a part of it. Right? There is a sense, I, I, I think about this often, how uh, as Christians, we have to have a really long view of things. So the Christian life is a journey. You're on the way. Like the people of Israel wandering through the wilderness trying to get to the promised land. You're on the way. Okay? And that makes it feel sometimes like you're only receiving bits and pieces. That you're uh, and sometimes it feels like you're not making progress, and sometimes it feels like you're not actually on the way. Okay? That's an important thing to wrestle with. But there's another side to this uh, notion of grace and God's free gift to you, which is you have to constantly bear in mind, which is that when God gives you grace, when he announces the forgiveness of your sins, when he gives you his body and blood to eat and drink, he is not holding anything back from you, but he gives you himself entirely, 100% right now, right now. So that it, all of your sins are washed away, even though you continue to wrestle with them. So that all of your guilt has been done away with, even though it still comes back to haunt you. It has gone. It is gone. His grace is full and complete. Just as surely as Christ breathed his last on the cross, so also your sin is to be seen no more. It's gone. This is why a crumb from the master's table is enough. Right? You just need a little bit. And it's all that you need. And it's everything. Right? You just need a little bit, and you've got it. So believe it. I mean, hold on to that. Hold fast to that. Because th as we come to the questions that come in subsequent weeks about how you live this life now as a Christian, what it looks like to wrestle with sin, if we ever lose sight of the fact that God's grace is full and complete, and that you contributed nothing to it, nor have you deserved it, if we ever lose sight of that, then the rest of it gets messed up. This is the starting place. This is the foundation. Jerry. So is grace a byproduct or a result of faith? Mm. No. Faith, uh, because of grace. I have a blank slide just for a question like this. Here we go. <laughs> is faith a result? Is, is grace a result of faith or is... How did you put the alternative there? Just to the opposite. Okay, good. Great. Let me answer one question definitively. Grace is not a result of faith. Look at what Paul says there, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Um, we have obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. So here's the grace. Okay? And it comes to you. God's given it to you. And the way that he gives it to you is by faith. 
We'll talk about this in a little bit more detail in the coming weeks. But faith is nothing other than believing the promises. Somebody makes a promise, and you believe them. Ephesians 2.8. Yep. yep, you have been saved by grace through faith, and this is not of yourself, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Okay. So here's an important question. Where does this faith come from? How does it come to be that you receive the promises? How does it come to be that this Canaanite woman can keep coming to Jesus when he's denying her and insulting her? Well, that's also grace. Right? So grace is the reason for the forgiveness, and grace is the reason for the faith. Okay? It's the reason for everything. Your faith does not produce any of this. Because, again, just keep this picture in your head. There's a well right here, and there you are at the bottom of it, right? Um, he pulls you up. He breathes new life into you. Okay? That's where faith comes from. Make sense? But the only way we can have faith or grace, we can't go and get it ourselves. Correct. Yeah. So we can't be the prodigal son. Exactly. Right. This is why every, sto every analogy really limps a little bit. And even in the story of the prodigal son, it limps a bit. What did it say? He came to his senses. Well, how does that happen? Do you decide one day to come to your senses? <laughs> you, can't, you, you can't just like make up a decision to come to your senses one day. It, it's something that has to happen to you. Same thing with faith. You don't decide, just as you can't decide tomorrow to believe that the sky is green, you cannot decide to believe that God is gracious and merciful. That belief has to come to you as a gift. So I can't be the prodigal son and say, other than eating pig food, I can't go and have all that type of fun that he was having, because my father is still waiting there. Anytime I want, I can go to him. Because, because who's to say if you're going to come to your senses? Right? You don't get to decide... To come to your senses, yeah. But I always assume that the prodigal son, he didn't, he, it ended up the father came to him. We don't know if he would have even made it. Right, yeah. He would have gotten, but yep. he needed the father to come to him yeah. to make it, make it happen. And you see that in his effort to come to the father, how wrong he got it, right? Here he is trying to come to his father, but what's, the, what's he doing in trying to come to his father? He's trying to make a deal. He can't bring himself to his father's grace. His father's grace has to come to him. Yep, yep. And I think that, Jerry, that point is excellent. Um, this has to do with living the Christian life and how you think about your struggle against sin. Coming to your senses is something that happens to you. It's not something that you decide to do. So you can't say, look, I'm going to go off into this land and live recklessly for about two months, and then I will come to my senses and I will come back. Okay? You don't get to decide that because you might not come to your senses. You might not come to your senses. And in fact, the point at which you're saying, I'm going to plan to do this much sinning and, and no more, you've actually made it harder for you to come to your senses because you've hardened your heart. Right? Brian. So to Jerry's sequence question, mm -hmm. how do we intersect peace into faith and grace? Yeah. Uh, so peace comes from, one way to think about peace is that it comes from the knowledge that you are in grace, that you have been obtained access to God, that you've been reconciled to him. So peace is the opposite of war, enmity. So peace is begotten of grace. Yeah, yeah. It is one of the gifts that comes from the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, right? It is a gift, yeah. Um, and I think that oftentimes, this is one of the, one of the easy mistakes to make. What, what does the prayer say? The peace that 
passes understanding, right? So it's not the kind of peace that you can just conjure up on your own, right? He, this son wants to make peace with his father. I think I'm going to make peace in this way. Well, no, it's got to come by grace. It's got to come by grace. And look, that peace is way better than the peace you could make, <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 Well, and you and yeah, exactly. And you have it right now. So you have already died to sin. You've already died to sin. We talked about this on on Wednesday in uh, reference to Matthew chapter six. Um, Jesus is talking about practicing your righteousness before other people. And I think it's such a great turn of phrase. When you practice your righteousness, don't do it in front of other people to be seen by them. So think about that phrase, practicing righteousness. There is a sense in which he means, like, um, exercising yourself in righteousness. But I think more importantly, what he's saying is when you put into practice the righteousness that you already have, do it in this way. Right? So you've already got the righteousness. You've already got heaven. You've already got God's grace. You've already been restored. You're living a new life. What's the only problem is if we pretend like we, if we, we, pretend like we aren't, right? Or if in our sin, we live as though we aren't, as though it weren't true. So in some sense, when we sin, uh, it's, it's like a delusion, right? Oh, don't you remember, Paul says, don't you remember? You died to sin. You're alive in Christ. Don't act like, don't live like people who are dead. Don't you remember you got pulled out of slavery? Now you're free. Don't go back and act like slaves anymore, right? Because you're not slaves. You're free. Um, and so, I mean, th- again, that's why the, the completeness of this, that's another one of the absolutes. It's unconditional, it's unending, it's free, and it is complete, right? 100% complete. Don't forget. Any questions? Let's see here. That's why we need constant reminders of God's grace. That's why. Um, because we're tempted. Just pay attention to your own life. We're tempted through pride to think that we don't need it. We're tempted to doubt whether it's complete. We look at our lives and say, this doesn't seem to be complete. We doubt whether it's unconditional. Look, I've got to do something. I've got I to pay this back a little bit, or I've got to shape up a little bit in order to receive God's grace. Nope. 100% from him. All right, come back next week for a, uh, another birthday party for Marlon, I hear. We'll sing happy birthday then, so I should have told you, now you're not going to come. Yeah. <laughs> so come, there's more cake for next week. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for coming out. Uh, Good job not saying anything embarrassing.